good morning. Lois and I just want to uh, wish you guys a, a Merry Christmas and a, and a very blessed New Year. And uh, we want to thank you. Uh, Creekside has been such an integral part of, of the ministry that God has called us to in Liberia. This past year, we've seen the ministry grow leaps and bounds in ways that we never could have anticipated. Um, it's quite interesting. Our theme verse uh, uh, for this past year was Proverbs 16:9, uh, that the heart of a man plants his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And indeed, that's what we've seen God do. Uh, we went to Liberia with the, the goal of, of building up uh, uh, believers and, and training and discipling. Uh, but, then, but then it was uh, the, the requirement was given to us by the chiefs to open a school for the kids. And that was, that was the basis upon which we could be in the village. And, uh, and so we opened Grace Christian Academy in 2017 with uh, just uh, almost 100 students. Um, and today we've, uh, we've opened up to second grade. So we have ABC, K1, K2, first and second grade uh, with 200 students. And uh, we've got some kids that are in our children's home that we're taking care of. And, and uh, this past summer, we had a, uh, a mission team come, a medical mission team. Um, we had, an, actually, my mom came, who's a nurse. Uh, we had a, a nurse practitioner and several other medical people. And we did an outreach uh, to the community. And what we didn't realize is that as soon as we started, uh, the word got out. And uh, uh, over the course of several days, people were flocking from different rural villages to come for medical treatment. And so by the end, we had seen over 500 patients in the course of a week of doing medical mission outreach and uh, ran out of medicine twice. Um, but what God did was he used that to break down barriers. Uh, for the first time, the imam from the local mosque came to us for, for medical attention, and that opened the door for a relationship. Uh, and uh, the governor of the Mendingo tribe, is very, very strict Islamic, uh, came to us to, to help his, uh, his mother-in-law with some medical attention. And so God used those things to open doors for us in an incredible way. And I'm, I'm happy to report uh, that we've seen nine people saved this year, have baptized them uh, on November 4th, and they're now in fellowship in the local church. And so we're seeing, we're seeing fruit uh, in the ministry, and you guys are a part of that through your prayers, your support, your encouragement, and ultimately you are our sending church. And so uh, we bring a message from Ta in Liberia. Uh, they ask that we thank you guys for your prayers, your support, and uh, that we just communicate their love for you, as you have to them. So thank you. God bless. Happy New Year. Well, good morning. I'm glad to have you all here with us this morning. This is the last week in our Christmas series, so if you guys are concerned that Christmas is over and we're still doing a Christmas series, I will allay your fears because we're going to Luke chapter 2 that, to some events that happened after Jesus' birth, so we're, we're good there. Let's just start out with prayer. Lord, thank you for the light that outshines the Bethlehem dawn, that you yourself, our Savior, are the Son of God, and that you came to be our light. Just thank you for that this morning, and I just pray that you would bless our, our time in your word, that as we open it, that we would learn from it, and that we would grow from it, and that we would become more like Christ and like these people that were waiting for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. I was going to say, too, when Doug was talking about all that work to be done around the church, my eyes started watering, my nose started dripping, I thought I was going to start sneezing. Uh, with my work allergy, but then he talked about the, 
donuts and coffee, which is a pretty good uh, antihistamine for, for that for me. So I should be able to handle that. The title today is Salvation, The Wait is Over. And we're going to see there's a couple characters that are dominant in this passage, Simeon and Anna, who were waiting for the Lord's salvation. And when they saw Jesus, that wait was over. And the last several weeks, we've been going through Luke, and um, I just wanted to remind us, go back to chapter 1. I don't, we didn't really read this, but uh, chapter 1, verse, verses 1 through 4, kind of give us the purpose of why Luke gave us this story. So it says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, and this, I believe, is the New Living Translation, so um, if you don't have that one, I don't want you to be confused here, but then he says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So I just bring this in because not only does it tell us what Luke's plan was. He wanted them to, he wanted this person that he was writing to, Theophilus, to know that what had happened, and as we're going to see, one of the things that happened was the salvation that was brought by Jesus, but he also wanted them to know it with certainty. So he did his due diligence as a writer of history, and this is kind of a, really a history book, a well-researched history book that Luke went around and talked to eyewitnesses and people that heard the stories from eyewitnesses. So this is, this is reliable history for us. There's also references to other facts that happened in history too that can be used. And I just bring that out because the Word of God is reliable. And sometimes you may meet people that want to make you think that the Word of God is not reliable, that it's just some religious philosophy, but it's not. It's the truth of God. It's the light to us uh, most of us being Gentiles. So, so far, we've talked about different people that received messages from angels. So there was Zechariah, who was a priest. Uh, there was Mary, who was a, a young woman who had a pure heart for the Lord. There was Joseph, who was a God-fearing man and walked humbly before his God. There were shepherds, which, as uh, Pastor Steve mentioned to us, you know, maybe we're not the highest character. You know, they, they didn't have, at least they didn't come from a profession that had the highest reputation of who they were. But all of these people received word from angels of God, supernatural messengers coming to tell them about the birth of Jesus and who this was, and also about the birth of John, and that John was the one that was going to prepare the way for the Lord who was coming. So now, we get two more witnesses here, but these are not people who got this announcement from angels. These are people who lived their lives waiting and hoping for the Messiah, for the redemption of Israel, for the salvation of the Lord. And these people, one of them around the clock in the temple, waiting for the Lord. And, and one of them had received word from the Holy Ghost that he would not die until he saw the Lord's salvation. So, here are two more witnesses to the things that happened up to and surrounding the birth of Jesus. And we see, you know, that we sang that in the little town of Bethlehem. 
It says, where meek hearts will receive him, still the dear Lord enters in. So here's the Lord entering into this world, being received by those who will receive him. And our goal this morning is that everybody in this room has received Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of all mankind. So I'm just going to read these verses, and this morning we're going to be in chapter 2 of Luke and verses 21 through 38, and um, I will go ahead and read those. At the end of eight days, when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation, for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother, mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So, we start, as I said, this, this section starts eight days after Jesus' birth. And um, there's this eight days and then he's circumcised. And he gets that name that was given to him by the angel, Gabriel, Jesus, which means Savior. And so Mary and Joseph are welcoming Joseph as an adoptive father, this son, and they give him the name that God gave him, Jesus, in faith that he is indeed the Savior. So this passage here says at the end of eight days, and then the second sentence says, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, what you don't see here is there is a 30-day gap there, or a 33-day gap there. So Jesus' circumcision was supposed to be performed on a male child in Israel on the eighth day after birth. And then 
after that, and then the purification of the mother happens. There's a seven-day period, and then there's a 33-day period. So this is 40 days after Jesus' birth. I just mentioned that because there could have been a lot of things that happened in this time. And if you read the account in Matthew and you read the account in Luke, there's not a ton of overlap in the events that happened. You don't see here the Magi coming. You don't see here Herod killing the, the children in Bethlehem. And you don't see Joseph and Mary taking Jesus and fleeing to Egypt to save his life. So there's a lot of, a lot of debate out there about when all those things happened. But it, it is possible that all those things happened between the time that Jesus was born and this day that we read about here in Jerusalem. And then if you were to read beyond what we just read, you would see that Joseph and Mary went back to Nazareth to live with the child. So we're okay doing this after Christmas Day, but that's not the main point. The main point is, I put this on the title, there's an irony and a harmony in this time of Jesus coming into the temple and all of these all of these uh, ceremonies being performed with him and to him because, well, let's, let's just jump into them. <laughs> so, again, I have a chart. But there's an there's a irony of the things that were taking place. The first thing that was ironic to me is circumcision was performed on Jesus. Now, the, there's also a harmony to that, so don't jump ahead of me um, and think why, why that would be. But the reason, the symbol of circumcision, and all these things that are done to Jesus are symbols of a reality. So the symbol of circumcision, we learn in the New Testament, it says, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. So we have a body of the flesh that is motivated by unholy desires, by selfish desires, by the lust of the eyes, by the lust of the flesh, by the pride of life. And symbolically, circumcision is cutting that off because we belong to a new race, the race of Jesus. Well, if you think about this as it applies to Jesus, First uh, John says Jesus appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. So Jesus didn't need as a sinful man, something to happen to him to cut off sin. John says, John who knew him closely said that there was no sin in him. Paul, I believe, says that Jesus knew no sin. And I believe it's Peter, the man of action, that says Jesus did no sin. So Jesus, it's a little ironic to me that, that he needed this symbol of circumcision. The second thing is this presentation or consecration that we read about in verse 22. The time came for their purification according, or I'm jumping ahead. The presentation is after the Passover. And you remember the Lord killed the firstborn in Egypt. But the firstborn in Israel had a Passover lamb killed in their place. And so after that, the Lord said, I want you to consecrate for me all of the firstborn sons. They belong to me. And so part of what Joseph and Mary are doing here is presenting him to the Lord. That says in verse 22, consecrating him to the Lord. Well, who is he? <laughs> He's the one that his father said, you are my beloved son and you 
in whom I am well pleased. This is a man that came, and, and we'll reference it later, but in Hebrews he said, I have come to do your will, O God. His whole purpose in being in this world to begin with was a consecration to Jehovah, to his God. And so he didn't need necessarily this outward form of being consecrated to the Lord. He was consecrated to the Lord. And so I see an irony in that. And then there's this thought of purification. And if you go back to Leviticus 12, you you can read about this. There's a whole chapter pretty much devoted to how a mother needs to be purified after bearing a child. It says in Leviticus 12, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then shall she be unclean seven days. And then it goes on to say for 33 days she can't touch anything that's holy. Well, that seems ironic to me. This is the Son of God that she bore, you know. And the angels told Mary in chapter 1, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. So it seems ironic to me that this holy child, his mother, has to go through this period of purification because she gave birth to him. And don't worry, we'll get to the harmony of it too. So. <laughs> the other thing that seems a little ironic to me is this offering. So it says in verse 24, They came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now, if you go back to Leviticus 12, and read about this, they were supposed to bring a lamb. But if they were poor, too poor to bring a lamb, they could bring turtle doves. So this tells you a little bit about Joseph and Mary's economic status. They were too poor to afford a lamb. And this is the humility of our Savior. His father chose a family that was too poor to bring a lamb for their purification. And so it's another aspect of his priesthood where he understands what we enter into. We have economic difficulties. Jesus understands. He was born into a family who couldn't afford to bring a lamb for their purification. So the two turtle doves, one was for a burnt offering. And so a burnt offering was something that was given out of a grateful heart to God purely for his pleasure. I was trying to think of an example of a burnt offering, and this is, you know, examples are always flawed because they're, they're not the real thing, but after Halloween, when we went to pick up the kids for Freedom for Youth Thursday, one of the boys came up to me on the playground while we were waiting, and he said, here, I have a candy bar for you, and he gave me a, a little um, half-bite-sized dark chocolate Milky Way, and I said, oh, thank you, Asher. Is that left over from Halloween? He said, no, my mom bought it. And so I thanked him again. I put it in my pocket. When it was time for him to go, two or three hours later, he's like, I hope you enjoy your candy bar. And I had almost forgotten about it. But, you know, that little boy wanted me to enjoy something. And that's why people brought burnt offerings to the Lord. They wanted him to enjoy an offering at their hand. And so Jesus, God says of him, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased Jesus was a pleasure to his father here is in his life, but he also brought pleasure to his father in communion before he was even born. His whole life, as we're going to see again in Hebrews, says he received this body to do the will of God. He was devoted to bringing pleasure to his father even before 
this time. Then the second turtle dove is maybe the most ironic one because that one was for a sin offering. And so they would bring one to die in their stead, in their place for their sins. Jesus appeared in order to take away sin, and again, in him, there is no sin. Jesus didn't need somebody to take his sin for him. And so those are, those are the reasons that I see irony in here, but then as we look at these things again in the context of all the scriptures, there's a harmony of the scriptures in Jesus coming in in this way. So the practice of circumcision was started as a covenant between God and Abraham, and it was a covenant that marked Abraham's offspring as special people that worshiped God. Jehovah said to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant. And so if you look back a few chapters in Genesis, the Lord had promised to Abraham, he said, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Jesus comes in by circumcision and by birth, but by circumcision certainly into that promise of Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed. He takes that place as part of the fulfillment, as the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that all the people of the earth are going to be blessed. Then there's this consecration. And if you look back to where that consecration of the firstborn, the devotion of the firstborn to God, where that came from, in chapter 13 of Exodus, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let the children of Israel go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And that was a practice in Israel, to redeem their firstborn for God. But then in 1 Corinthians 5, we see that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So this practice of giving the firstborn to the Lord in place of them being killed like the Egyptian firstborn was fulfilled, because, can be fulfilled because Christ, our Passover, was slain for us. So the Jewish firstborn, their lives were saved because a lamb was slain for them. Christ came into the world to be that lamb and he is our Passover lamb and he has been sacrificed for us. So the burnt offering and the sin offering. And I've already alluded to this, so I won't spend as much time on it. But Hebrews 10 tells us, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus came into this world knowing that all of those bulls and goats and sheep and turtle doves that were killed were not really what was pleasing to God. All of those things were symbols. They were pointers to something that was coming, someone who was coming, Jesus, who is that offering that was and is pleasing to God, both as a burnt offering to bring joy and pleasure to his Father and as a sin offering to cover our sins who believe and trust in his salvation. So I, I was um, struck with those things, just the irony and the harmony of Jesus coming in as a man under the law. 
And let's just read that verse. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus comes into the temple with his parents. They're bringing a sin offering. They're bringing a burnt offering. And here in their other hand is the one sin offering, the one burnt offering that is pleasing to God. What, what a joy. What a joy. And um, the people there, no doubt, didn't fully understand that. They just knew they were waiting for the redemption of Jehovah, of Israel. But God was sending his son, born of Mary, born under the law, so he complied with all of these ordinances that really just pointed to him. He didn't set those aside. He was born under the law, and he did that so that we could be sons of God. God became man so that man could be the son of God. Praise the Lord. Our salvation is here. So let's, let's move on, and let's just meet Simeon here. So here's a description of Simeon. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous, devout, and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So I really just kind of want to highlight here, in the interest of time, the character of this man. He was devout. He was righteous. His behavior was in the fear of God. He lived his life in the fear of God. And God spoke to him by his Holy Spirit and gave him a unique message saying, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Christ. And so uh, we will see when we get to his song that this was something you look forward to. But I do want to spend just a little bit of time talking about this waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation means like comfort. I don't know a better way to say it. And so I followed the link in my margin to these verses in Isaiah 40, which I think is probably where Simeon's hope was when he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It says, this is Isaiah speaking, he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So this is an this is interesting verse, and Isaiah is writing this, and Israel is just kind of beginning this multi-century journey of oppression by enemies that are cruel to them. There was the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now, in our, the time of our story, they're living under the oppression of the Romans. That warfare is not ended today either, is it? We look at the, the nation of Israel, there is constant strife around and regarding that nation. But it was something that they brought on themselves through their unbelief in their Lord. Isaiah says that this time of consolation, her iniquity is pardoned. And then there's this statement at the end, she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now why is that a comfort? Why is it a comfort to think that the Lord is, is charging double for sin. The reason it's a comfort is because the one who's taking the sin is Jesus. A couple months ago, in September, Debbie went through Chicago on a trip. She was going to a women's conference. Then about a month later, we went to visit some family there in Chicago. 
And unbeknownst to Debbie, she went through a toll in Illinois four times and didn't pay. <laughs> she, was, she, she had no idea she was breaking the law. When I was driving, we took this exit, and it said, you have to pay to get off this exit, but there was no place to pay. I, so I went through, and I got by with it, I guess, until last week. <laughs> so last week, I got a letter in the mail, and it said, you went through the tollway four times, total toll, $6.60, total fine, $86.60. Now, that's a different kind of double, but that's paying double, okay? Once was what I should have done, and once was punishment. So, I did get a little bit smart, because I didn't, my charge was not included on there, and when I went and looked at the website, I was able to pay my $1.60 without a penalty or punishment. But I called them, and I said, I know, because it says right on there, ignorance is no excuse, you still have to pay the penalty, I said, I know, um, you know, she, but she had no idea. She's not from there. She's, we're from Iowa. You know, what can you expect out of Iowans, right? <laughs> and, and she was just driving through. And the lady said, well, that's not an excuse. I said, well, does it count for anything? Could I maybe just pay one punishment instead of four of them? And she said, here's what I can do. I'll send you a stack of paper that you can fill out to appeal it. And on March 6th, the judge is going to look at that and decide if he's going to have mercy on you or not. Now, do you think I feel good about an arrangement like that right now? I don't. No, I, I kind of expect, since it says right there, you know, and there was probably a sign right there that said, don't drive in this lane unless you have an iPass card. But I don't feel good about that kind of, first of all, mercy that I thought I got away with. Because the penalty wasn't paid. The righteousness was not met, and the punishment was not met. But this pardon, this comfort of Israel, comes because the Lord has visited double on his own son, the punishment for our sins. And so we have this comfort in knowing Jesus. We're never going to face that sin again. If you are by faith trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross and God has punished him for your sins, God would be unjust to punish you. And we have a just and a righteous God and that's one of the attributes of God that I'm so thankful for. It's not just his mercy that I'm dependent on, I am dependent on his mercy, but his righteousness covers me from my sin and this is the salvation that Simeon was waiting for. And so he rejoices in the Lord. And so there's this song. He says, Lord, you're now letting me pardon peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What did he see? He saw Jesus born as a man. Simeon didn't probably know the details of how this salvation was going to work out. You and I this morning, we know that the reason that Jesus is the salvation is because he, as a sinless, holy, spotless Lamb of God, went to the cross. He was made sin for you and for me. And God was satisfied. And I know God was satisfied because he rose him from the dead after having been made sin. He fully bore it. He rose him from the dead and he set him at his right hand. And he gave him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of things in heaven, 
and things on earth and things under the earth. His salvation has come. We don't have to wait for his salvation anymore. Now there's a day coming. So just to finish the verse that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation of Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So we might have read this if he didn't call out all people or the Gentiles. We might have read it and said, great, he's king of Jews. I'm not a Jew. What's that mean for me? It's for all peoples. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles. And you can see this through the book of Acts where the gospel is brought to the Gentiles and they're made aware this is the true God. Israel, they knew who the true God was. They didn't know how to be made right with him. But we are enlightened through Jesus. We know the true God and we know the way to the true God. So, Simeon praises the Lord for this. And then there's this warning. It says, he says to Mary and Joseph, he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon gives this warning. And he says, yes, this is the salvation of the Lord, but he's going to reveal hearts. And there were hearts in Israel that were proud. And they didn't want somebody else coming in, taking their glory. There was people like Herod who didn't want Jesus to supplant him as king. So he tried to kill him. Many hearts turned against Jesus. And today, many hearts are turned against Jesus. And I pray this morning that your heart is not one of those. I pray that your heart is one that receives Jesus, just like Simeon, just like Anna, and turns to him as your salvation. And then one day, we know, as we read the rest of the story, that Israel is going to be restored. We read that in Romans and other places in the Bible, that Israel will be this glorious nation again. Because one day, they're going to turn, as a nation, they're going to turn to Jesus as their salvation, as their Messiah. So then there's this prophet Anna that was there, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Now, interesting thing about the tribe of Asher, most of the people in Jerusalem were from Judah and Benjamin because the other ten tribes, there was a split in the country. Half of them followed Rehoboam, or ten tribes followed Rehoboam, Judah and Benjamin followed Jeroboam. The other way around, Jeroboam, <laughs> Solomon's son. And so the others were taken by Assyria and kind of assimilated in, into other cultures. And so most of the people here were either from Judah or Benjamin. But here's Anna from the tribe of Asher. Somewhere along the way, her family valued that relationship with Jehovah enough to stay by where the temple of God was. And she carries on this tradition. It says she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So, and she was 84 years old at this time. And actually, depending on the translation, it, it looks like she could be over 100, depending on how those words are put together. But a very long life of devotion to the Lord. And she came up at that very hour and began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, that's Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, that's 
kind of cool because she was in a community of people that were waiting for the redemption of Israel, not just for Israel to be great again, not just for Israel to be broken away from Rome, but for the redemption. That means God had to pay the price to buy them out of their bondage to sin. And that's what she was waiting for. The sad part of this is that she was able to speak to everyone who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There must have been only a handful of people in the temple that were there for the purpose of a relationship with God. Because she was able, it says, to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And sometimes a path of faith is a lonely path. But it's not a sad path. She was happy. She was rejoicing. She was worshiping God. And she was waiting. And now she was seeing the full fulfillment in Jesus. Which I trust this morning that that is, is what you have found too. That, that you found your redemption, your salvation, your object of worship in Jesus from the song we sang, it says, Where meek hearts will receive him, still the dear Lord enters in. And today, just like Simeon and Anna, you have been presented with Jesus. Jesus, God's salvation for you. A light for each one of us here. To show us the truth of who God is and why we're separated from him through our sin. And what he's done about that to redeem us back to God. And you know, if we will receive him, he will come in. And just like in Bethlehem, there was no room for him in any of the inns, but there was, there was a manger, there was a stable there for him to enter in. And our hearts can be that stable for the Lord. If we welcome him in, he will come in. So I pray that this morning, all of you know Jesus as your Savior. If you don't, receive him today, I pray, because... This day of salvation has an ending point. There is an end to our lives. There is an end to the day of grace where God says, you can come to me through Jesus. And that day will be a final. And Jesus talks about it as a great gulf that's fixed between heaven and hell. Those who received him in their lifetime and those that didn't. And that can't be spanned anymore. Once that day has passed, so today I would plead with you. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but say yes to your Savior, the one that came, God the Son, become man so that he could be made sin for us and bear in his own body on the cross our sins, who God has now exalted, and he will see to it that everyone confesses him as Lord. And we're going to, to take the bread and the juice here in a minute. I'm going to give thanks for it. Remember, as you take it, your Savior. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When you take the, the bread, remember his body, which was given for us. When you take the juice, remember his blood, which was shed for you. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I pray that you would receive him, even in your seat while we pray, and then come forward and remember him as your savior let's pray 
Lord Jesus, thank you that you have brought salvation to us at great cost to yourself, that, that cost of ransom, your own self, your body given for us. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your blood shed for us. Thank you that we have the peace of knowing that all of our sins have been dealt with fully and completely, never, never to be visited again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this. Thank you for this bread and for this juice that reminds us of your sacrifice for us. And I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, that, that they would receive him, that you would work in their hearts and their spirits. I turn them towards you, I pray. And I just pray that each one of us that is redeemed, that we would spend um, our time in worship and prayer and seeking you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.